You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. I'm broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. And we have a great show for you today. Um, one issue we've taken a great interest in this show is the, is the whole gigabit city movement. You know, we've talked a lot about the uh, ultra-broadband efforts in um, Chattanooga and Kansas City. And, um, well, it looks like the next person, city to step up to the plate on that is the city of Los Angeles, no less. And so we're going to talk today, I'm going to start off by talking to um, Steve Renniger from um, the city of Los Angeles to tell us about what's going on in Los Angeles and the, you know, the exciting things there, particularly under Mayor Garcetti, who you know, really is, seems to be the, you know, the um, tech um, mayor of the, you know, the 21st century. And, um, and then we're going to talk, um, David Sandel is going to come back um, and talk to us about um, what's going on nationwide with Gigabit Cities, and he, you know, he's the um, organizer of the of a number of Gigabit City events, including the Gigabit City Summit. So um, get your ultra broadband speed fix right here, um, and we're going to start off um, with Steve Renniger. As our first guest today, we have Steve Renniker, and he's the general manager for the Los Angeles Information Technology Agency, and he has the very big task of putting together an RFP to make Los Angeles um, the largest gigabit city in the country, if not the world. And Steve, are you with us? Yes, I am. Steve, thank you for joining us. And uh, 
You have quite an impressive background. You've worked in um, fast cities in Riverside, and um, you, you really seem to be at the forefront of really the, the smart city, fast city movement. Um, well, we're, we're trying. You know, I took Riverside, city of Riverside to the most intelligent community in the world in 2012. A lot of that had a broadband aspect of it, so I'm looking at uh, bringing those same ideas and principles to Los Angeles. Now, what is the criteria to be the most intelligent city of the world? Well, there's really five components. You know, one is broadband, having ubiquitous broadband uh, in your community. Uh, the second is digital inclusion, making sure that you bridge the visual divide and allow access from an affordable means to those in your community that aren't connected. Uh, then provide some level of innovation both internally in city government as well as externally by uh, creating incubators and connecting your technology communities. Uh, the fourth is uh, knowledge workforce, connecting with your lower and higher education institutions and making sure that the students go on to college and those that do graduate hopefully have the jobs and resources to keep them locally rather than exporting them out to other communities throughout the United States of the world. And the last is uh, really telling our story, so marketing and advocacy, uh, really educating all the Angelinos in Los Angeles about uh, what are those golden gems that exist here and, and getting them excited about living in, in this community. Now, uh, you know, L.A. had a, a mayoral election this, this March, and um, the winner um, was Eric Garcetti, who had strong support from the tech community. Um, and is, do, you, do you feel that this is kind of a, a great opportunity for tech um, in, in, any, in a city of, of this size, given you know, Eric seems to be predisposed to tech initiatives? Absolutely. I mean, innovation is, is top on his agenda. Um, he's really working to drive a lot of the technology initiatives forward, and one of his deputy mayors is solely responsible for technology and innovation, uh, Rick Cole, who I report to. Um, so he's really taking more of a CEO stance from a, a tech technology private sector company application and applying it uh, as an overlay to the city of Los Angeles. So it's, it's a great time to be in L.A., and I look forward to uh, working with him to execute on that strategy. So before we get into the um, the gigabit um, effort, I mean, he, one of the things he implemented is a is a, a city app to um, for services. Was it Los Angeles three one one? Yes, my LA three one one. And uh, what does that do? So that that was really our first mobile app that uh, takes all of the ideas and principles around L.A. and combine them into a single request. So as a citizen, rather than having to call 311, uh, now you have the ability either over the web with our new LACity.org website or in this MyLA311 mobile app, uh, you can report any service type out there, take a picture of it, captures your GPS location, forwards it into our 311 call center, and we're also in the background working on direct integration out to the department so in real time they'll see these requests coming in and more importantly in the future by October of this year, uh, excuse me, October of next year we will be able to actually tell you what the status of that request is and when it's closed and report back to you. So uh, it's, it's really the initial um, aspects of going forward and really making city a virtual 24 by 7 city hall. What is the, um, I don't know if you have any data, what, what's the, the actual response rate so far on that in terms of how many people are using it? 
we have to date about 18,000 downloads of the application That's out right. there. We have about 5% of all the submissions that come into 311 now are done over a mobile device. So um, still has a long way to go, but con you know, considering we just launched it uh, really in April, um, it's really having tremendous growth. We're seeing uh, a doubling month-over-month -month growth, not just downloads, but 311 submissions. So we're really looking at that's going to be the, the next wave or the big generation uh, of how 311 requests are going to be submitted by the public. And, I, and also, I think you know the mayor is doing a lot of public awareness. I've seen a lot of photos of him holding up his mobile phone. So um, I'm Definitely sure that biggest kid on it. So um, the move to become a gigabit city, and we had um, we've covered this issue on our show in the past, and talking about you know this transformation in Chattanooga from you know this kind of bedroom community outside Atlanta um, to now being the fastest internet city in the U.S. And um, and so at some point, Los Angeles decided it wanted to join that club. Um, what's the genesis of that? So we, when you take a look at a lot of the success factors, like Chattanooga, like Kansas City with Google, um, and there's probably another 80 or so cities and communities out there that have either built their own fiber or have leveraged private-public partnerships uh, to provide gigabit to the communities, and we see that it does two fundamental things. You know, it provides a huge economic development boost to the city because it becomes an attraction vehicle for companies wanting to come and relocate in. But for high-tech employees that whose jobs depend on a high-speed broadband connection to be effective in their job are attracted to those communities that have faster and more cost-effective broadband solutions in those communities. So that's a huge driver for L.A., uh, but then secondarily um, is really the, the, the benefit to reach those that aren't connected. You know, here in L.A., we have our L.A. USD rolling out 650,000 iPad tablets, mm -hmm. very innovative structure, definitely the way to go for our, our students out there. But if 30%, which is about the number they have told me, uh, that don't have broadband at home, how are they going to have an equal experience uh, and getting their homework done and doing their research uh, if they don't have broadband at home. So being able to provide a free or cost-effective solution to our low income out there is going to be a huge factor in taking the city forward. So we're really looking at it. It's, it's the ecosystem that's going to drive us um, for the next 20 to 30 years and being an intelligent community, a smart city, uh, and one that, that has innovation at the top of its priority list. And, and so um, right now the process has been the city council has approved um, you're moving forward to draft what is known as a, a request for proposal or RFP to find uh, a vendor who would be interested in, in partnering with the city in, in, in launching this initiative. Correct. So we, we have a draft that's in place right now. Our next step on this is obviously getting outside legal counsel to review it and, and guide us through the process uh, through RP and award. But in January, we're really going to be working with uh, the mayor's office and Councilman Blumenfield, uh, who's taken the lead on this effort through our Innovation Technology Committee, and trying to get some citizen input on it. You know, we're, we're also going to get feedback from the private sector and the carriers and the communities, which we already have gotten some from that aspect. But I think the real 
impact is going to be what does the community want? And as long as it's not going to cost them anything, so really the, the direction for the city is, is the spends that we're already spending today, if we can be a little more intelligent about that and maybe even offer it as an incentive that we might be able to direct that revenue uh, to them as opposed to an expenditures to other third parties out there, would that be enough to entice somebody uh, to build out something of this magnitude in Los Angeles? And so the structure of the deal actually is that if the vendor, let's say I, I decided to deep, dig deep into my pocket and, and, um, and sign up with LA to provide the service, I'm paying for the build out. I'm providing free service at a lower tier um, broadband speed to everyone who wants it at that speed, but then I'm able to offer um, tiered service up to a gigabyte um, per second um, at, to everyone else, and you know I can charge for that. Is that basically the structure? Yes, basically it. So we're we're definitely needing to work with a provider to ensure that they get at least a 40% penetration because that's what they're going to need uh, to make it profitable for them. Um, but but also we're looking at them being a wholesaler on this network um, if if in fact we're successful in doing so, which should provide benefit to them as well. I mean, if you're introducing and allowing a fiber connection to the house, why shouldn't they be given the opportunity uh, to choose whatever provider they want um, that services either broadband or TV services or even telephone uh, to their home? So uh, by them being a wholesaler on it allows them to continue to make margin on whether they're providing the service or whether it's provided by somebody else. Uh, and then it also opens it up to free in a competitive marketplace in L.A. Because the last thing we want to do is we want to respect um, all the investments that have been made by all the companies to date, but give them an opportunity to, uh, to, to continue to offer services and be competitive in Los Angeles. Now, one of the criteria is that um, they, have, they have to be open for um, the the lines have to be open for both broadband and um, cable communications, right? Yeah, our focus is really on broadband and the RFE, but knowing that once you have the vehicle that can offer other services, uh, that's when we'll really need to get in our legal counsel, really take a look at, um, you know, the legalities of what can and can't be offered depending on who wins the RFP and how that's structured and delivered uh, remains to be seen. So. At the end of the day, everything's negotiable in this RFP, but we want to make it clear uh, that our vision is is that we're looking at it being open uh, and uh, not restricting competition. And so, if if you had it that you know they had to provide cable, there's some concern that, for example, Google, um, you know, Google's high speed offering um, would not be um, they they could not win this RFP because then they don't provide cable services. Well, the bottom line is Google provides TV services in the neighborhoods they serve. So we're, we're not talking about cable. We're talking about fiber services to the home, and fiber can leverage video, voice, and data, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the case of where Google serves today, yeah, they're pro providing telephone uh, services. They're providing uh, a limited TV uh, broadcast service as well as high-speed gigabit speeds. But unfortunately, they're only providing them to residential only and not to the businesses. So our particular offering here is requiring both. So if they did want to bid on LAs, they would have to change their business model. And, and what type, have you gotten much feedback from, you know, you know obviously the, the RP is not out there yet, but 
is are any expressions of interest already? Yeah, there are. I mean, we've we've met with AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, Charter, T-Mobile, uh, Sprint, Nextel, um, and and there is there is a lot of interest out there. I would say at least three entities have come to the table, say we're interested, we're definitely going to respond, uh, which gives us uh, some excitement to the fact that that maybe we have an RP that can be structured the method that will uh, deliver you know the majority of what we're asking for. We certainly don't have expectations that everything that we're asking for in the RFP will be able to be satisfied, but we're hoping that we have enough on the table to negotiate to deliver something that's going to be a huge benefit to the city. And, you know, if you're successful, you know, um, basically you, the information superhighway will be the uh, the first highway in L.A. where you can go fast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. But um, if you really look at it, it's it's going to be the foundation uh, that's going to build the next generation LA, regardless of any business, regardless of any household uh, that that is going to be in in Los Angeles. Um, it's going to be part of a high tech community, and that's uh, what we're striving for. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Steve Reniker about um, LA, the Gigabit City. After these messages, stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Why do over 15,000 small businesses love working with Infusionsoft? Because we believe in people and their dreams. We empower entrepreneurs and our groundbreaking tools help small businesses grow and thrive. We listen. We care. We serve our customers and we do what we say we'll do. We're always trying to find new ways to innovate and to improve our all-in-one sales and marketing platform. Most of all, from email to e-commerce, we help small businesses like yours succeed. Go to Infusionsoft.com slash radio to watch a free product demo. That's Infusionsoft.com slash radio. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link-building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. Welcome to Market Square, where you'll learn about fundamental human truths and up-to-the-minute trends that shape how and why marketers and people connect. Market Square, on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
And we're back um, with Steve Brenneker. We're talking about proposals to make L.A. Um, the nation, the nation's largest gigabit city. And um, I guess let me try to put this in context. Um, you know, earlier I, did, I looked at what um, the average U.S. broadband speed was compared to some of the fastest broadband speeds, which are, for example, usually in cities in South Korea. And I figured, you know, it, the difference between the two, it was like comparing Xbox and Pong. <laughs> and um, and the time it would take to transfer 30 um, MRIs at the – because that's sometimes high speeds are being used to transfer you know, for medical technology. Um, transfer 30 MRIs at the average U- U.S. Um, broadband speed um, would take um, 43 minutes in, in – um, Japan, and um, whereas, um, excuse me, let me, yes, it would be take 43 minutes, while it would take nearly seven hours to do so in the United States. And so while the um, Japanese were able to finish that in um, 43 minutes, while the U.S. was still downloading, you know, everything, they had enough time to download all six Star Wars movies nearly seven times. <laughs> And and it just kind of this is a glaring um, you know gap and 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 so this isn't just about you know having you know fun internet you know to to go on Facebook this is really about competitiveness right and 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 what's what's real interesting on that there's a independent company Inktomi who goes out there and rates uh, the fastest connected communities and yeah the United States in 2011 ranked 38. What was really interesting, Riverside at that time ranked number one in the United States. And the speed, the fastest average connection speed in the United States 2011 was 2.1 meg. Wow. Now, you might say, that doesn't sound like it's very fast, and it and it really isn't. Um, and you might say, well, how did Riverside get that? When in 2011 there were other communities like Chattanooga with Gigabit. They were just going live, mind you, and I'm, I'm certain they've surpassed it now at this point in time. But what was really interesting is there still is a large number of people today in every community in the United States um, that's largely still using dial-up connections wow. uh, to get access to their broadband. And when you can turn that over and you can provide that for free, um, it gets them off those dial-up services onto a, a higher-speed broadband connection, um, and there's much more impact from the usefulness in those folks getting access to services. And so I think that's what we're really talking about here in the United States is we've got to make broadband a priority. The federal government certainly uh, through the Obama uh, um, regime has, has really talked about um, how we can do this at a national level, but at the end of the day, uh, they don't have the oversight to, to make it happen. It's right. all up local individual cities to make it happen. So here in L.A., we're saying it is a priority. We're going to make it happen here, and hopefully it will be something that can be replicated in other communities around the United States. Now, as part of this process, have there been any studies on what the um, kind of economic impact would be of, you know, of converting L.A. to a gigabit city? Well, I mean – we're really looking at hearing the public on that, but uh, when you take a look at just from a 30,000-foot view on what's happened in those other communities that have gigabit speeds, um, you see that the amount of entrepreneurship around being creative on leveraging this high-speed communication, 
that allows a more effective business model, um, that we see a jump in number of startups, number one. Uh, we also see that um, real estate values go higher because people want to live in those communities. And so all of a sudden, available real estate um, becomes difficult to find, um, which is a good thing to have in, in a lot of cities. Right. So um, those are some of the trends that we're seeing. Uh, you know, in L.A., pretty much is a built-out community. We don't have a lot of uh, available real estate to build new developments on. So being able to provide that um, asset to, to Los Angeles should be a huge redevelopment um, trend for this community to um, turn it around to make it a, a prettier community, a desirable community, and one that will attract and, and retain businesses uh, as well as citizens, and, and hopefully those students that graduate from our colleges as well. Now, there's a city to the north of Los Angeles that has a fair amount of tech that um, is somewhat of a, I guess you might say, a rival with Los Angeles in a lot of areas, baseball and basketball and, oh, at one point, football. Um, and so have has there been any, any, have you heard anything about their reaction to the fact that L.A. may become, you know, a gigabit city before they do? You know, we haven't really gotten any feedback from them, but... At the end of the day, um, L.A. is going to have to define itself on what we are going to be. What, who are we trying to attract? What kind of businesses are we trying to attract? We can't be everything to everybody. We, we've certainly got Silicon Beach is, is a great foundation to build on. But when you really take a look at some of the assets that we have here in L.A. that folks to the north don't have, um, is we have the entertainment industry, um, you know, we we probably will be the king of the U.S. Not in just on entertainment and media creation um, and and development, but also in gaming. And so I think you're going to see a lot of trends uh, for that for the Los Angeles region and the gigabit a key uh, to growing that market. And then I guess the the, the last thing really is is security. Um, you know, these days that's just it's an increasing concern. And um, how how do you make sure that if you do this, it's a secure network? Well, the bottom line is, like any provider you go to today, get, get your broadband services, uh, security lies at the home level, right? So we got to make sure whatever we provide that um, it's open, available, um, and accessible to all aspects of anybody providing services over the Internet, just like any other provider would be. So the security that we will require is that the carriers work and provide what's called customer premise equipment, CPE, that has the ability for um, the household to encrypt it so that people around their neighboring community can't get access to devices uh, on their broadband connection. Uh, but then it's also important that we, we do a lot of communication and training around um, what households need to do from an anti-spam, antivirus, exactly. firewall perspective to make sure that the content that they create on their device stays secured, um, that their software stays patched and updated. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility at the individual household that will take time and, and education to make sure that they understand at a minimum what they need to do. And I think that starts at the K-12 through level with the kids that are using their iPad connections and even having them teaching their parents at home on uh, what those settings and 
and pieces of software need to be to ensure that um, all of their transactions, financial uh, and personal data is protected and, and kept secure. And I'm sure you can get a vendor who would agree to provide like a year of, of free service if they could be, you know, have the exclusivity or something like that. I mean, that, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities there to, you know, to provide, given the size of the market, to provide, you know, free free software or free other things, um, you know, just because of the network. Now, what is the, the timeline for this all to happen? So, um, when do when do you think at what point would year would the bid, would a bid be awarded, and when do, when will consumers actually be going a gigabit per second? Do you think? Um, right now, we are looking at a uh, a reach out campaign in January. Whether the RP will be released then, I would say RP will be released definitely in first quarter of next year. Um, it'll take us a good six months to negotiate all the com- complicated aspects associated with the agreement. So by summertime, the hope would be that uh, we would have the beginnings of a signed contract. Uh, and you know, with 40, 455 square miles in Los Angeles, <laughs> it is not going to be a quick build out. Uh, we have a lot of initiatives going on in LA for repaving our streets and you know fixing potholes and things of that nature. And we want to make sure that this project's co-aligned with that initiative, so that when we're repaving a street, all the underground assets have already been laid, so we're not tearing up anything new that has been done. So that whole effort's going to take between three and five years for a build-out for LA. Uh, but you know, s- starting and initiating it, you'll see pieces of the community being live somewhere uh, between 18 and 24 months. And you know, the initial gigabit live. And right now you already have the major constructions going on across the city, particularly on the west side, um, for expansion of the Expo, or as the mayor likes to say, Texpo line that goes all the way to Santa Monica and the beach and will link Silicon Beach to downtown. Correct. So it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting time. Um, I think the tech community is very excited about Mayor Garcetti, and uh, you know, they finally they see him as you know, probably, I think, the 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 leading um, you know, mayor in America who, in terms of you know, who gets it in tech. And so this is it's going to be an interesting four years. I mean, there's a lot of press already. Is Eric Garcetti going to reinvent government? And um, it looks like he's already started. But I want to thank you very much for, for joining us, and um, please keep us posted. I hope you'll consider coming back as as this progresses. And um, you've done a great job in Riverside, and L.A. is glad to have you on board. Thank you very much. Exciting times to be in L.A. If people want more information on this, where should they go? Um, so right now we're looking at, in the near future, a uh, draft of this RFP being up on Councilman Blumenfield's a website. Um, and we're going to be starting dissemination and, and posting something on LACity.org probably the first part of the year where people can weigh in, see what it is that we're doing, and, and vote and specify what do you think this is a good idea, um, a bad idea, um, and any comments and feelings we'll uh, take into consideration as we uh, get ready to deploy this. Well, thank you again, and um, best of luck to you, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Thank you very much. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. And a bit. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! 
How about catching more attention like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short brand and attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate display media or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD, DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. Webmasters to Radio.fm presents Search Kingdom. We explore the world of search marketing, give in-depth analysis inside the important industry headlines, and interview with the most important industry thought leaders. Search Kingdom, on demand inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and um, we have a, a return guest who we're very thrilled to have um, to continue our Gigabit special. Um, David Sandell with Sandell and Associates, and um, David is an accomplished Gigabit City executive focused on leadership planning and successful execution of Gigabit Community or Smart City Economic Development Initiatives. And he's also the founder of the Gigabit City Summer, which he spoke about us um, on our show last January. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But, um, David, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, Bennett, and thank you for having me on the show again. Oh, thank you. It's great to have you back. So, it, you know, we're, we're really, I guess, um, bullish on this whole Gigabit City movement here on the show. And um, I, you know, it seems like this has been a good year for the, the Gigabit movement, that we're making some progress. And um, what would, how would you assess things? I would say we're definitely heading into a Gigabit bubble. Um, there, we, have much more, we have much more activity coming in um, across the entire United States. Um, to briefly talk about... Um, Kansas City. Kansas City now has a full-scale construction project going on. They have three main contractors. Um, there's approximately 70 contra- subcontractors on the ground. Um, there are um, 
almost a thousand people working in the city and out installing fiber. And there are also another uh, number of other initiatives states that either coming from the fiber to the home business or on the municipal side. And so um, now you work with a number of cities on promoting you know, gigabit initiatives. I, I, see, I saw your, um, some of the countries you consulted with, you know, places you consulted with from Amsterdam to um, all over. And uh, you know, is the interest in gigabit technology growing? It's uh, basically two things are happening at the same time. Um, we've entered into an innovation economy where the focal point is entrepreneurship as a pathway to creating new innovations and new businesses. And what goes right along with that is gigabit connectivity and what we might call hyper-connectivity because it's a known fact that once we have more bandwidth available to uh, small companies and entrepreneurs, uh, new applications develop. So both these things are happening right now. It's becoming more and more widespread. And I think in 2014, we'll see it really pick up even more. Now, you know, before you, we had someone from the city of Los Angeles talking about you know, their effort to um, jump into the gigabit pool. And um, But there was also a number of uh, small college areas, towns, that have um, some level of gigabit um, technology offered. And so... Um, is there a difference in terms of the economic impact for gigabit um, technology, whether you're dealing with a big city or a small, small community? Um, that's a very good question. <clears throat> As you can see, uh, Kansas City is a very big uh, deployment in process. Um, Los Angeles would be even bigger. Um, well, I had been working on with the Kansas City leadership on their economic development strategy and the Kansas City playbook. In St. Louis, we started a very small initiative called Loop Data Rail. And what Loop Data Rail is, it's analogous to Kansas City Google Fiber, but it's on a very small scale. It, um, it goes through a two-mile stretch of town through the uh, cultural and creative heart of St. Louis, and it has a wide variety of uh, creative and innovative organizations. It has a lot of amenities in place. And we came up with a specific business model to create what we call a gigabit main street. Now, gigabit main street is analogous to what we used to refer to as main street America, where many cities and towns would have central congregating points for business and commerce. Mm-hmm. So now we're identifying gigabit main street, and that is what Loop Data Rail is. And we believe that once its construction is complete, that a lot of innovative and creative companies will move into that part of town. Now, if you look at Kansas City, where it's going to be built everywhere, that's more of a uh, moderating effect across the entire metropolitan area. But in St. Louis, with Loop Data Rail, it's a captive market because it's the only place in town. So this once this small Loop Data Rail gets turned up, a lot of people are going to move across town to be in the Loop Data Rail area. So we'll see an increase in real estate value, an increase in high-value job creation, and maybe most important, we'll see an increase in public sector revenue stream and a refreshing of the tax base. And you know, is there a quicker deployment aspect to that? You know, for example, you know, what we're talking about in LA, you know, the mayor, if he's you know, assuming he gets reelected, will probably this will be happen during probably the first year of his second term. Um, whereas how long does the, um, the loop model take? 
Very good question. That's right. It's a, um, the loop data rail is small. It's only two miles long. Um, it will be constructed at the same time that a trolley system is putting in. And the trolley is really going to determine the amount of time. So the trolley is going to take 10 months. Um, so the loop data rail will be constructed at the same time. But if the loop data rail was being constructed without the trolley, it could be done in three or four months, which is another big economic accelerator. What might be even more exciting about loop data rail is its cost is incredibly low. We're talking of looking at less than $3 million to have this very high impact along a two-mile stretch. Now, what other economic development incentives can you put out there for $3 million that's going to affect an entire two-mile stretch of town? Wow, just and then right away, like, loop, there it is. And um, so what is, is, have you calculated what the multiplier effect is in terms of your investment in um, a loop rail? Yes, we have, believe it or not. Um, as you know, cities, when they develop new infrastructures, they have traditionally used economic development impact statements to get an idea of how much revenue will be generated by the new infrastructure. You see this for port authorities or airports and major highway internet exchanges. So we decided to create the first gigabit economic development impact statement, and we call that giganomics. And what we were able to determine in short was that if we spent $3, that within five to seven years, we would have $265 for every $3 that we spent in economic impact. So in other words, $3 million gets $265 million in five to seven years. But that's in terms of community revenue flow and job creation. And, and so um, for those of you who, that, who claim that government doesn't create jobs, I mean, well, this, this could be government or private sending this up, right? This could yeah, be just a business association for a neighborhood. Um, Loop Data Royal has a parent company called Loop Media Hub, which is a 501c3, and it has public and private partners in it and uh, creative organizations from that part of town. So it will act as the economic churning mechanism for that two-mile spread. So $3 equals $27 in, in how many years? No, I said three dollars equals two hundred and sixty-five dollars in five wow. years. Quite impressive. That's that's just amazing, and and so that's the thing I think. You know, with, with um, Chattanooga, you had the the maybe uh, the novelty effect of gig economics, and um, but people really weren't sure what it meant. Um, they knew that okay, Silicon Valley was going to Chattanooga, which you know, quite frankly, I'd even thought of doing before. And but now that we're starting to quantify it, you know, I think this could really put wind behind the sale of the gigabyte movement. You know, you're exactly right. In fact, um, defining giganomics, I think, is the first round of this that's really going to help identify where the economic impact is and how much revenue flow in terms of community revenue flow and job impact, and it will really help um, move gigabit cities and even more so smart cities along. Now, Before we move on, though, why don't I uh, read to you what is the official definition of giganomics? And I think we should also say that this will be the first public reading of this definition in the world right here on your talk show. Exclusive here on CLBR. 
<laughs> Here we go. Giganomics is the branch of social science that deals with the production and distribution and consumption of goods and services across a specific entrepreneurial market or ecosystem, incorporating a specific collaborative business model that uses bandwidth, cloud, and open data infrastructure. And um, it's giganomics is definitely going to be a term that we're all going to be repeating, it seems. But um, and looking at it um, in terms of um, you know, the, the benefit of giganomics, are there certain industries um, that lend itself to um, wanting to do giganomics? Like where, you know, who's the who's the industry that's really going to jump at this the most? I mean, for example, L.A. makes sense. Um, and giganomics just because of the the whole entertainment content, and for them the ability to stream at high speeds and particularly for and also for gaming has high value. But there's other technologies like medical and others that also would seem to benefit. And I was wondering if there were certain industries that were the leading kind of um, you know beneficiaries or even movers for giganomics. Yeah, that's another very good question. You got to look at this in a uh, holistic, realistic sense that the application space for gig, uh, gigabit networks is not developed yet. It's at the very early stage, except for in the case of high definition um, content for video conferencing or TV. So, in the very early stage, who is going to be the big benefactor of this? And the answer is it's going to be entrepreneurs and innovative companies who want to develop applications for this next generation internet. So in the case of like loop data rail, the main tenants of this network will be the small companies and entrepreneurs who move into this part of town and take advantage of the bandwidth. So they're the first benefactor. Then the second benefactor is, well, where are we going to put these people? So that means we need to have new real estate. We need to have co-working spaces. We'll have to have expanded libraries. We'll have to have expanded community centers. So the second big beneficiary is real estate development. And then when we have small companies and co-working sites, what happens then is the third multiplier is they start creating new innovations and new companies and multiply more stuff in the same part of town, and it grows more and more. So in the beginning, it's going to be innovative and small companies and entrepreneurs and real estate, and then we're going to start seeing applications coming. And I think the first round of applications will be around collaboration tools. Now, um, you know, as this is still a nascent movement, I think Chattanooga is only in their fourth or fifth year. And as you discuss this with other cities and business people, um, what what's the first question they have in turn as they try to get around their you know their arms around or their their head around you know this whole concept? Wow, I, it's really surprising. Almost always they say, "Well, why do I need high speed internet?" And then they'll be. That's silent. a fair question. I mean, I can. You know, I think the I answer take it as to a that given, is both. Yeah. Do you want low speed internet? Do you want slower internet? So. It's really an economic development uh, response that high-speed internet is going to end up attracting innovative companies and entrepreneurs, which will create more companies, which will create more real estate development. And that's what uh, high-speed does in the beginning. But as it expands and more and more people use it, it basically comes into three categories. 
One, high speed means you can work faster and you can be more productive. There's no question about that. You made an example earlier of the download speed in Japan. The second part is if you have gigabit connectivity, then that strongly enables a cloud computing environment and everyone can start to really in earnest move their, their servers out into the cloud and um, have work from a managed cloud environment. And then the third part is, well, with more bandwidth, we're going to see more innovations. That's a historical fact now. So it's those three that will um, move this out in a big way, I think, starting in 2014. Now, we, we've, we've talked a lot about you know, Chattanooga, Kansas City, you know, all U.S. locations. How how does the movement compare outside the U.S.? Because you know they they have faster broadband speed anyway, um, a lot in a lot of them, and you know do they feel they need to to ramp it up even further. This is a really fascinating point you're making because around the world, other economies are um, you know they see this new information economy coming, the hyperconnected economy, and they want to be able to compete with the United States before the United States gets smart about this. So they're investing in building out these infrastructures uh, pretty much all over the world now. We see it all across Asia. It's moving over to uh, Europe. Um, recently had announcements that France is going to build out the entire country. Um, Canada and Toronto are also getting more interested. So these other parts of the world are much better at collaborating and sharing information. Now, on the other hand, the United States, a weakness that we have is we're competitive. So we compete first and we collaborate second. So for us to come up with joint decisions to make shared infrastructure environments in American cities or to build smart cities for that matter is going to take us longer to do. So the other countries are moving ahead from us and are moving ahead of us in this way right now. But what we're going to see here is once this gets going in the United States and these communities and gigabit main streets get set up around the United States, we're going to see the American entrepreneurial innovative sector take over and commercialization kick in and a lot of new applications develop. And once that happens, then I think the United States is going to start to catch up. You know, it's interesting, you know, um, just as a side point, you mentioned Toronto. I can, I can only imagine what the negotiations were like with the mayor. Um, but, um, you know, right now you had Detroit just um, go through its bankruptcy. And it would be interesting if to see what would happen if you took you know one of the more destitute cities in America, whether it's Detroit or you know some place that um, you know a Rust Belt city that the the cyber era seems to have forgotten, and created um, you know a little enclave you know, as you guys are working on, or even made the whole city a gigabit city. And what would happen? You know, is is it a case of at least at this early stage of, you know, field of dreams, if you build it, they'll come, or does there really need to be some, you know, minimal infrastructure and tech um, in the city for it to really happen? Good question. I would say that as Detroit goes through its restructuring process, one of the visions they will have is that of Detroit is a revitalized smart city with gigabit infrastructure and hyperconnectivity. However, to your point, you know, Detroit is in pretty bad shape. It's going to take them a while to come out of this. So Detroit would be a perfect example of how gigabit main streets 
very small deployments that be put in certain parts of town and in certain parts of towns that have different neighborhood distinctions. And they could be uh, installed at very low cost and they would have very high economic development impacts, particularly given the state that Detroit is in. Right, you could have low cost. become a catalyst or a showcase or how this type of infrastructure and collaborative planning has a really positive effect, but more important, has tax revenue implications. Mm-hmm. So M&M, if you're listening, you know, you call David Sandel, get, get your gigabit <laughs> system set up there, and we can see if um, Detroit really is the comeback city. Um, but it, it, it is an important point. I mean, it's also just the question of, you know, to what extent should a city that doesn't have much of a tech base go this way? You know, is there still going to be a, as much a yield as cities that maybe have some level of uh, technology or, you know, high, um, you know, a high proportion of people with college degrees or you know, graduate degrees? Like even Chattanooga, while it wasn't necessarily a tech center, because of the TVA being nearby, it actually had a, a fairly um, you know, well-educated workforce to start off with. Well, you know, once this new application space gets developed and high bandwidth applications start propagating for education, healthcare, public safety, work on and on, everybody's going to have to get in the game. And if you don't get in the game, those cities that don't or delay are going to be off the radar screen. And since this pace of change is happening so rapidly, um, everybody at some point is going to have to get in the game, and we're going to have to deal with this on a national basis. A, a second interesting point to your comment is if you take a city like L.A., who's sort of using this legacy approach to a huge RFP for an entire metropolitan area, they could get in the game much faster by having, for example, 20 gigabit main streets and... 20 core neighborhoods. They could observe the same economic development effects. They could see the tax base improve and real estate development take place. And the you know parallel markets and the service providers in LA could watch this take place and then decide to invest on their own. So starting small seems to be the key here. Small is more, tiny is huge. And maybe the old way of the telephone company is really not the best way to start, but maybe the right way to start is with the small deployments of gigabit Main Street. Well, I mean, it's an interesting idea. And, um, you know, and particularly in, in days of, uh, you know, budget crunches, you know, small does have its benefits. And um, we only have a few minutes left. So, David, if people want to learn more about, you know, Sandella Associates and, and what you've been working on, um, what's the best way for them to do it? Well, there's Sandal Associates website, which is out on the web. And we just yesterday released the Loop Data Rail uh, website. It's loopdatarail.org. And you can also look on Facebook. We also have a very entertaining Facebook page there. Um, Loop Data Rail is also the name. And that should take care of it, by Well, um so where do you think when we have you on next year, <laughs> this time, where, what will we be talking about in terms of gig cities? Well, I'll probably be wearing a new pair of glasses and my car will be driving me to your office. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say one thing non-germane. You know, David's in St. Louis 
and uh, he was teasing me a little bit as as well as me myself and fellow Red Sox fans were, were crowing and you know very happy about the World Series result. But I can tell you, it is such a classy city. The way that they welcomed um, Red Sox fans um, during the World Series, and uh, you know, no one had any ill will at all to the Cardinals. Everyone's like, "Well, it's a great team and a great franchise." And um, so, uh, hats off to all of you in St. Louis. You put on a great World Series, and I'm sure you're going to be back there next year and, and to see who who they face. But um, you're, you know, it's a, you showed a lot of class throughout, and. Uh, so your community deserves a, a, a warm and um, praise from the entire you know, U.S. baseball community. Well, I've got a surprise for you. I actually spent most of my childhood in Boston and went to see the Red Sox regularly. And then in, um, in grade school, we moved to St. Louis. And so I've always been highly conflicted about these games. That they <laughs> have. But I have to say they are both two phenomenal baseball clubs. Yes, and it was a great series, and I'm sure you, right now we're 2-2 in World Series against each other, well, hopefully we'll get to play again soon. But David, I want to thank you, uh, it's been a pleasure having you, and I hope you'll join us next year, and um, well, next week we're going to have Ian Ballin on as we talk about the year in review in um, internet law, um, next week on Cyber Law and Business Report, this is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. Um, happy holidays to all of you, and join us for our year in um, edition next week. Um, same bat channel here on um, Webmaster Radio. Be sure to download our mobile app and take us wherever you go on this, these holidays. So um, that's all right now. Quarters adjourned. We will see you next week on Cyberlaw and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.